From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, November 19th. The group Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility says the Bureau of Land Management has ignored damage to public lands caused by overgrazing. They say some 40 million acres fail to meet the federal agency's own health standards for water and vegetation. Wild horses get a lot of the blame, but Justin Higginbottom reports on another cause some wish to highlight. That sound is a helicopter during a roundup of wild horses in Colorado. Agencies have blamed herds like this for habitat degradation around the West. Ecologist and former BLM contractor Peter Latin says they have a point. He studies land health and says wild horses certainly have an impact. But he saw another culprit sharing the same land that was being ignored. At the very beginning, the outset of this project, they decided to exclude livestock grazing as a potential factor that influences rangeland health. Latin obtained rangeland health data through Freedom of Information Act requests. What he found painted an unfortunate picture. These data, the number one factor across the West, identified in BLM records for failure to meet rangeland health standards for livestock grazing. He filed a complaint with the Department of Interior against the BLM. But after review by the agency, it was determined that the complaint was without merits. Within wild horse herd management areas, cattle can outnumber horses by up to 9 to 1. Latin says that on almost 90% of the allotments that overlap, livestock grazing is also a significant factor for the failure to meet environmental standards. He says an accurate assessment of rangeland health is more important now than ever. We are once again entering a period of some serious droughts, and so the challenges we face going forward are certainly going to be much more challenging than we have faced in the past over the last 20 or 30 years or so. Latin says there are some overlapping grazing allotments near Moab, but these haven't been assessed since 1997. He thinks if they were studied today, there's a good chance they would fail. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. An indigenous protester awaits sentencing over her 2020 border wall demonstration. Amber Ortega appeared in federal court earlier this month on misdemeanor charges related to blocking machinery at a border wall construction site near Quito Baquito Springs. Elisa Resnick with our partners at KJZZ reports that's a sacred site in Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument. Before it was part of Oregon Pipe, Quito Baquito was a homestead to the Hyachet Atam. Amber Ortega told the judge that this spring is where her relatives come from. So when she heard wall construction taking place while praying there one morning in September 2020, she was moved to protect it. There was real fear present there, fear for the land, fear for the animals, fear for our people, fear for the future. Ortega was arrested by National Park Service officers after about an hour of chanting and singing at the construction line. Her defense argued her religious and cultural beliefs compelled her actions and should be protected under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Federal prosecutors argue those beliefs do not negate the fact that she interfered with federal government activities taking place on federal land. Paul Gatone is Ortega's lawyer. Obviously, they wanted this to be as easy as possible for for my client to be convicted. Federal Magistrate Judge Leslie Bowman says she needs more time to consider whether testimony related to religious freedom could be included before making a ruling. The decision could take weeks or months. Elisa Resnick, Tucson.
This report comes from our partners at KJZZ and their Tribal Natural Resources Desk. Supply chain issues are impacting the availability and prices of goods around the world. Matt Hoish, with our partners at KOTO and Telluride, has more on why winter sports equipment is no exception. Justin Chandler has been having issues getting ski gear. I have never seen anything like it. Chandler is the executive director of the Telluride Ski and Snowboard Club, which supports about 450 kids who do winter sports. Clothing, it's a pretty big deal. Jackets, warm-ups, and soft goods even, goggles, socks, things like that. Base layers for kids, those are hard to come by. And then obviously equipment too. Biggest thing is for Telluride and for our kids and families is backcountry equipment, big mountain equipment, all mountain skiing equipment, that stuff. The most popular items are the toughest to get right now. Companies are either late on pro- on some product, late on sizes, not sure when things are arriving. It's a mess. John Miller is the manager at Jagged Edge an outdoor equipment store in Telluride. He says they've been getting items in November that were supposed to ship in April. And when they do come, some shipments only have a third of what they originally ordered. Others are still delayed. Like I've got some some Nordic boots, for example, that aren't going to ship until March, which doesn't do anybody any good. By now, you've probably guessed this is a bigger problem that goes beyond Telluride. I'm Nick Sargent, president of Snow Sports Industry of America. SIA is a winter sports trade association. Sargent says the same supply chain issues impacting a range of other products are also hitting winter sports gear. Factories that shut down for COVID reopened with a backlog. That delay then gets amplified by worker shortages that slow down everything from unloading shipping containers to trucking the gear. I mean, it just snowballs, and I hate to use the word snowball since we're talking about winter winter sport, but it is kind of apropos. According to Sargent, retailers across the U.S., Europe, and Asia are feeling a similar crunch. Some brands, he says, are trying to get around the bottlenecks by chartering cargo planes. And they're paying sometimes... 9, 10, 11, 12 X, what they would pay to ship across water to go over air and then bypass the port and land right at the distribution centers. Still, Sargent thinks it's a bit extreme to call the gear shortage a crisis. He anticipates gear will get onto shelves by January or February, but he also estimates it will be about 10 to 20 percent more expensive. And he thinks it will take a couple of seasons to get manufacturing and distribution entirely back on track. So future gear crunches are also on the table. Maybe not to the extreme that we're seeing it today, right now, but you know there'll be a high percentage of bottlenecking that will happen next year at this time and so on. In the meantime, John Miller at Jagged Edge says, if you see something you want, go for it. Don't wait. Because especially like Nordic gear is going to be slim again this year. Not as bad as last year, but it's going to sell out fairly quickly. Ski gear is going to run out. Don't hem and haw too much. But also don't, you know, if you don't need new gear, you know, there's, there's plenty of ways to, you know, get a good tune and patch a jacket so you can get a new pair of pants and keep the same jacket. Like it's, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. Over at the Ski and Snowboard Club, Justin Chandler says they've been doing swaps and trying to make it work with the gear they can get. You know, you may have skis that are touch small. You may have skis that could be a touch long. You may have boots that may feel 
tad roomy to start the season or they may be a little snug if you're still in the boot from last year but you know shops can do boot work to make that boot a little bigger. Chandler doesn't think the supply challenges will affect the club's ability to compete this season because he says everyone is dealing with the same issues. I'm Matt Hoish. And now the weekly newsreel, where we speak with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area. A 34-year-old Grand County woman is facing second-degree felony charges after 1,500 fentanyl pills were allegedly found on her property. Doug McMurdo with the Times Independent highlights this story. She was on probation already. So her probation officer goes to her house to do a search and enlist the uh, help of a Grand County deputy. And they get in there and they find a distributable amount of Xanax, uh, definitely over over 40 pills. Mm And then they found um, a couple of grams of meth, and they found some usable or personal use marijuana, and they found one fentanyl pill on top of a dresser and half of another one in the bathroom. So right now it's looking like typical probation violation. You're going to go to jail anyway. Mm -hmm. But then because she's on probation, she doesn't have the same rights as the rest of us. So they wanted to know about what was in the Jeep. And she said that's somebody else's Jeep, but it was actually registered in her name. She didn't have the key. Her sister did. So they had to drive her to her sister's house, get the key, bring it back, open it. And in there, they allegedly found 1,500 M30 fentanyl pills. And fentanyl, of course, um, is dangerous. The problem with fentanyl is it's super... um, addictive like all of it is but it also takes very little they're masking them they look like they're you know typical um painkillers like uh, lore tabs mm-hmm. they can make them look just like the blue lore tabs mm-hmm. but they're not they're full of fentanyl so if you're a, a drug addict you're going to take one or two of these um you're going to break off the candy coating or the coating on it and you're going to shoot it up or you're going to snort it or you're going to smoke it mm-hmm. whatever the best high that you get out of it uh, other than taking it orally that's the mm-hmm. last thing that you're going to do so what happens is they think that they're shooting up or injecting um a certain drug but they're not they're injecting fentanyl and we have a very telling photo mm-hmm. on the front page um uh, I talked to a uh, crime lab tech mm-hmm. from the uh, New York State Police yesterday. Um, uh, he took that photo, and you can see what a fatal heroin uh, overdose, what that amount is. And then mm-hmm. you just got sprinkles of fentanyl. Literally, it looks like, you know, leftover, you know, salt, like at the bottom of a salt shaker. Like, that's that's enough. Right. You know, in 1,500 uh, fentanyl pills, that's probably enough for a hardcore user uh, to get through six months. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, they found a whole bunch of cash. Uh, they found um, other drugs, but the 1,500 fentanyl pills that they found, and she's already on probation. Uh, she's in serious trouble. You know, I'm not saying that this arrest is linked with any of what I'm about to say, okay. but there's been a couple of obituaries in the newspaper uh, just in the last month of um, uh, men in their 30s who have died of drug overdoses, and we've had other drug overdoses in the past, and it's fentanyl. And that's what people are, are dying from, and again, I'm being very clear that I'm not suggesting that this is where they came from, but... What are the odds of how many more people would die mm-hmm. if those 1,500 pills were distributed here in Moab? And as reported in the Times Independent, you know, this drug is frequently involved 
in overdose cases, and we have had experience directly recently with that here in our community. We certainly have, and we also, as a country, uh, we just hit uh, 100,000 deaths, overdose deaths, within a 12-month period. Mm. So that's a a really... uh, um, Mm disturbing landmark mm-hmm. so this is this is kind of a big case for grand county law enforcement we don't know yet you know what what her outcome will be in court um you report that she faces second degree felony charges she does and typically when you get caught with this amount of drugs the judge has no choice mm-hmm. but to revoke your probation and send you to prison um, of course, there's more to highlight in this week's edition of the Times Independent. Um, can you take us to the local election? Yes, this is not as sexy as it sounds. <laughs> but on December 7th, the city is going to do a recount uh, of the uh, council race. Mm-hmm. Joe Langanese is clearly the mayor. Um, and what that means is that the state ordered the recount uh, because there was a one vote margin between uh, Josie Kovash and Luke uh, Wojciechowski. So they're going to do that recount, and it's not going to, uh, unless a huge error is made, which would probably validate a lot of people who don't believe elections are secure, um, Luke and um, Taylor being the winners isn't going to change. Uh, What might change is which one of them got more votes. Mm. But I believe at this point, Josie has been eliminated. But we'll have to wait and see. There could be a a real uh, controversy come up on December 7th. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think the Utah County elections official said, you know, in her experience, she hasn't seen a recount really change the outcome, but it might change the data a little bit. Right. But that is certainly close to have um, Josie and Luke in one of the rounds of ranked choice voting be separated by just one. Finally, there's kind of a special series that's going on in the Times Independent right now. Yes. Samantha Bonsack, who uh, a lot of people know through her motorcycle business. She's a gifted writer. Mm -hmm. She really grabs you. Her prose is really clean and um, just a joy to edit. She lost her dog, Moxie, her favorite companion, for almost 20 years. And she was looking to fill that void, and she went to Underdog uh, uh, Rescue. There was a dog in the back, in a a doghouse all by herself. And there was a, you know, caution signs that, you know, could, you know, bite risk. Oh, wow. And all of this, and this little rumble coming from this dog's throat. And, um... Samantha was intrigued, and she approached the dog, and um, the dog didn't attack or anything, but he just she just growled mm. uh, so ominously that she froze in her tracks. Mm. Uh, long story short, she um, she's working with uh, um, Underdog, who just they didn't have time to give this dog the special attention right. that she needs. So she took the dog home just to, to train her, to try to reach her somehow and uh, get rid of that feral attitude of the dog and, and introduce it to love and comfort and security and all the things that a dog needs to to feel good and um she's doing really well and there is progress being made but um like i said just the writing alone uh to me i would pitch this story to anybody so samantha in this piece you know writes about her experience of losing her her dog moxie and then this experience of working with this this new um creature this new dog right i i I really enjoy when these type of profiles are in in the local paper because i think it sheds a different light on our community there's no shortage of serious news right so we we try to pepper every paper with human interest stuff Uh um you know 
stuff that um, reminds us of our humanity. It's, it's not all government and politics and, and nasty. There's a lot of good that going on in Moab, and there's uh, a lot of wonderful people in Moab. And we can't write about all of them, but give us time. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Moab's candidates for city council and mayor reflected on the local election results this week. Allison Hartford with the Moab Sun News has more from their coverage. So the official vote canvas for Moab's general election occurred on November 16th. Um, And according to the city recorder, Summer Johnson, the voter turnout was like 57%, um, which is pretty low for Moab. I think Hmm. the last mayoral election um, had a voter turnout of like 67%. Interesting. They also found that um, there will be a recount for the city council seats on December 7th. Um, And officials from Utah County do have to travel to Moab to do the recount in person. So what happened is in the race for the first city council seat, which went to Jason Taylor, um, in the third round of ranked choice eliminations, Luke and Josie were within one vote of each other. Um, And that meets the threshold for a recount. Mm -hmm. But this really isn't expected to change anything. It's like a formality. The state of Utah... If it's within one vote, they have to do a recount, Mm -hmm. even though that first seat is still going to go to Jason Taylor, because what happens after the third round of ranked choice eliminations is Mike McCurdy gets eliminated, Mm -hmm. which boosts Jason Taylor. And I also talked to a couple of the candidates just about like ranked choice voting, um, because this is the first year that Moab participated in it. I also chatted with Kevin Walker, who is the chair of the Grand County Democratic Party. He told me he's a mathematician. I thought it would be useful to talk to him. And he did say that he thinks that the results this year would have been the same, even if we had done the election mm. the old-fashioned way. But he also thinks that the election uncovered some problems with ranked choice voting um, that people weren't talking about initially. Okay. And so, like, the purpose of ranked choice voting is to eliminate runoff elections and also to eliminate the possibility that somebody gets elected with less than 50% of the votes. Mm. Um, and then it also kind of is supposed to, like, put everyone in, on an even playing field, I guess the biggest issue is that ranked choice voting works the best when everybody ranks every candidate. Mm. I mean, traditionally, you only rank one person and that's your vote. Mm -hmm. But in this one, if you only ranked one person and that person was eliminated, then your vote just didn't matter at all. And a lot of the candidates like didn't initially have 50 percent of the votes. And Mm -hmm. so both the mayoral race and the city council race went through a bunch of rounds of eliminations. People who only ranked like one or two candidates all of a sudden further down the line, their vote may not have mattered. And so I guess there was a lot of confusion with ranked choice voting, and I think there still is. Kevin Walker was kind of talking about that election transparency is really important and People need to have confidence that elections are being run transparently, Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do when people don't understand why the results are what they are or how the votes are being Mm -hmm. counted. I wonder if some of that is just this is a new process for a lot of people. Yeah, right. And then the way that it it happened with this um, race in particular, you know, there were four preliminary rounds of Mm -hmm. election results released. Um, There was an error in the initial results um, Mm -hmm. that was reported to the papers and local media. And Mm so, you know, there's a lot of like um, double checking, triple checking and some confusion around um, how race voting works. 
did the candidates have anything to say about um, the process for them? Yeah, yeah. So all three of them, so I talked to Jason Taylor, um, Joette, and Luke, and all three of them said that they think that a lot of people got confused about ranked choice voting. Um, and yeah, Joette and I talked about how she said, like, even when, when results came out, she had to talk through it multiple times before she really understood what happened. Uh Um, and they also all said that moving forward, they'd want to hear like from the community about if we should move forward with ranked choice voting or not, because Mm -hmm. I don't think any of them were really like immediately enamored by it. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. like I think they all thought that it was pretty confusing um and moving forward they just want to hear more from the community on like what they think we should do i'm sure that'll be a process so this is a temporary experiment mm-hmm. um love city doesn't have to commit to ranked choice voting um but it is like a piloted program and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see you know if they want to take up the mantle again yeah now moving on thanksgiving dinner tell <laughs> us about this yeah so wabi sabi's annual thanksgiving meal started um 17 years ago and it started as this like community event and community space really for people who had like nowhere else to go on thanksgiving and then it quickly turned into this huge gathering of the community um and it was really wonderful but since the pandemic wabi sabi has continued the meal but to be safe they aren't having the gathering Mm. and so this year like last year the thanksgiving meal will be delivered to people's doorsteps so how can people get a meal anyone who needs to can order a meal by contacting wabi sabi Mm -hmm. or they're partnering with six other organizations um the family support services four corners behavioral health Grand Center, Moab Solutions, the Moab Valley Multicultural Center, and Sea Caven. You can contact any of those organizations um, if you need a meal. And volunteers will be delivering meals to doorsteps, and there will also be pickup sites for people. Oh, nice. Okay. So more information about that is in this week's edition of the Moab Sun News. And lastly, there's uh, a musical happening that is featured in the Sun this week. Grand County High School has one musical every year. um, And this year it's Freaky Friday, which I didn't even know is a musical. Neither did Um, I. It was previously a book, but it was made famous by the very iconic movie Uh with um, Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. So now it's a musical. It's a musical. Yeah, they're producing it. It'll be on Friday, November 19th and Saturday, the 20th. And the show starts at 7 p.m. at Grand County High School in the auditorium. And tickets are $8 for adults or $5 for students and senior citizens. I went to one of the rehearsals to take pictures. um, And it looks really fun and cute. And I talked to um, Marley Francis, who's the drama department director at the high school. Uh And she said that um, she picked this musical because she saw it produced in Salt Lake City a few years ago. And she just thinks that it's really fun and upbeat and joyful. It's just supposed to be like a happy, fun show. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's the weekly newsreel where we speak with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.